Dear sisters, I'm Brother Monson, President Benson's second counselor. And a few moments earlier, he asked if I might read to you his message, which he has prepared. I wish you could have all been here in the tabernacle to feel the electrifying surprise when President Benson walked into the building and the love that the sisters share for him was very much in evidence. I know that he has prepared diligently and pondered and prayed concerning this message because he loves you. And though he's feeling just a wee bit indisposed and has asked me to carry on in his behalf, he's here with us. I hope you look at him and realize that the message which I shall read is coming from the Prophet of the Lord, President Ezra Taft Benson. Just a few moments ago, he leaned over to me and said, Now, Tom, read slowly and with meaning. I want these precious women and sisters to hear every word and to feel every word. I'll do my best, President. My dear sisters, it's so good to be with you. This has been a glorious meeting. I have appreciated the counsel we have received from the presidents of these three great women's organizations. Their words have been inspiring, and I commend them to you. The music has been beautiful, especially this last anthem, Come hold your torches high, that Christ's true light through us may shine, his name to glorify. May that be the clarion call for each of us as we serve in God's kingdom. Six months ago, I spoke at this pulpit in general priesthood meeting to the single adult brethren of the Church. This evening, I would like to speak for a few minutes to the single adult sisters of the Church. Single adult sisters throughout the Church, I want you to know of my deep love and appreciation for you, for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for your desire to serve the Lord with all your heart, that Christ's true light through you may shine, his name to glorify. We see so many of you living Christ-like lives, worthy of emulation, and giving such dedicated service in the Church. We see you leading the music in primary, and because of your love and care, children's eyes lighting up as they sing the sweet songs of Zion. We see you teaching by the Spirit, classes in Relief Society, young women, primary, and Sunday school with such excellent preparation and bearing testimony of gospel truths and touching others' lives. We see many of you effectively working with our teenage girls, taking them to camp, directing road shows, going to their dances, and being a great example and a real friend to them. We see you serving full-time missions for the Lord with devotion and dedication and returning from the mission field with an even greater capacity to serve. 
We see you in singles wards and resident wards, reaching out to the less active, to the shy, to the troubled, reaching out to the widow, the shut-in, and the lonely, and inviting all of them to come to Christ. We see wise bishops and state presidents calling you single adult sisters to leadership responsibilities in wards and stakes. We see you in the presidencies of Relief Society, young women, and primary organizations where your talents and abilities are being fully utilized. We see you as a vital part of the mainstream body of the Church. We pray that the emphasis we naturally place on families will not make you feel less needed or less valuable to the Lord or to His Church. The sacred bonds of Church membership go far beyond marital status, age, or present circumstance. Your individual worth as a daughter of God transcends all. Now we also know you have special challenges and special needs. Be assured that we are aware of these. I would like to express the hope that we all have for you, which is so real that you will be exalted in the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom and that you will enter into the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. Dear sisters, never lose sight of this sacred goal. Prayerfully prepare for it and live for it. Be married the Lord's way. Temple marriage is a gospel ordinance of exaltation. Our Father in heaven wants each of us daughters to have this eternal blessing. Therefore, don't trifle away your happiness by involvement with someone who cannot take you worthily to the temple. Make a decision now that this is the place where you will marry. To leave that decision until a romantic involvement develops is to take a risk the importance of which you cannot now fully calculate. And remember, you are not required to lower your standards in order to get a mate. Keep yourselves attractive. Maintain high standards. Maintain your self-respect. Do not engage in intimacies that bring heartache and sorrow. Place yourselves in a position to meet worthy men and be engaged in constructive activities. But also, do not expect perfection in your choice of a mate. Do not be so concerned about his physical appearance and his bank account that you overlook his more important qualities. Of course, he should be attractive to you, and he should be able to financially provide for you. But does he have a strong testimony? Does he live the principles of the gospel and magnify his priesthood? Is he active in his ward and stake? Does he love home and family? And will he be a faithful husband 
and a good father, these are qualities that really matter. And I would also caution our single sisters not to become so independent and self-reliant that you decide marriage isn't worth it and you can do just as well on your own. Some of our sisters indicate that they do not want to consider marriage until after they have completed their degrees or pursued a career. This is not right. Certainly we want our single sisters to maximize their individual potential, to be well-educated, and to do well at their present employment. You have much to contribute to society, to your community, and to your neighborhood. But we earnestly pray that our single sisters will desire honorable marriage in the temple to a worthy man and rear a righteous family, even though this may mean the sacrificing of degrees and careers. Our priorities are right when we realize there is no higher calling than to be an honorable wife and mother. I also recognize that not all women in the Church will have an opportunity for marriage and motherhood in mortality. But if those of you in this situation are worthy and endure faithfully, you can be assured of all blessings from a kind and loving Heavenly Father. And I emphasize all blessings. I assure you that if you have to wait even until the next life to be blessed with a choice companion, God will surely compensate you. Time is numbered only to man. God has your eternal perspective in mind. I also recognize that some of our sisters are widowed or divorced. My heart is drawn to you who are in these circumstances. The brethren pray for you, and we feel a great obligation to see that your needs are met. Trust in the Lord. Be assured He loves you, and we love you. If you are a single parent, make friends with others in similar situations and develop friendships with married couples. Counsel with your priesthood leaders. Let them know of your needs and wants. Single parenthood is understood by the Lord. He knows the special challenges that are yours. You are His daughters. He loves you and will bless and sustain you. This I know. Now to all the single adult sisters, regardless of your present situation, be faithful. Keep the commandments. Establish a deep and abiding relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Know that He is there always there. Reach out to Him. He does answer prayers. He does bring peace. He does give hope. In the words of the psalmist, He is my refuge and my fortress. In Him will I trust. Study carefully the life of the Savior. He is our great exemplar. 
Make the scriptures your constant companion. Read daily from the Book of Mormon and receive of its strength and spiritual power. Realize your personal self-worth. Never demean yourself. Realize the strength of your inner self and that, with God's help, you can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth you. Life does not begin only upon marriage. There are important things for you to do right now. Sister Eliza R. Snow declared, There is no sister so isolated and her sphere so narrow, but what she can do a great deal toward establishing the kingdom of God upon the earth. Become fully involved in the Church. Attend all your meetings and your single adult activities. Reach out to others. Rather than turning inward, forget self and really serve others in your Church callings, in personal deeds of compassionate service, in unknown, unheralded personal acts of kindness. If you really want to receive joy and happiness, then serve others with all your heart. Lift their burden, and your own burden will be lighter. Truly in the words of Jesus of Nazareth, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And always be improving yourself. Set personal goals and strive to accomplish them. Improve yourself physically, socially, mentally, and spiritually. Incorporate the splendid Pursuit of Excellence program into your life. Keep growing and learning and progressing and serving others. And finally, my dear sisters, be thankful to the Lord for your blessings. Think more about what you do have than what you don't have. Dwell upon the goodness of the Lord to you. Remember his words to the prophet Joseph, He who receiveth all things with thankfulness shall be made glorious, and the things of this earth shall be added unto him even an hundredfold, yea, more. My humble desire for the wonderful single adult sisters of the Church is that you will receive all that the Father hath, even an hundredfold, yea, more. And I promise you that indeed you will. All of the blessings of our Father in heaven will be yours if you continue faithful, if you are true, and if you serve Him and His children with all your heart, might, mind, and strength. You are choice daughters of our Father in heaven. You are jewels in His crown. Your virtue and purity make your price above rubies. In the words of President David O. McKay, a beautiful, modest, gracious woman 
is creation's masterpiece. When a woman adds to these virtues as guiding stars in her life righteousness, goodness, and an irresistible impulse to make others happy, no one will question if she be classified among those who are truly great. God bless and sustain you always. I leave my blessings upon you, wonderful sisters, with love in my heart for you, and do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The scriptures teach us that an important part of mortal probation will be making the right choices. How do we make the right choices when there are so many temptations and so many people telling us what they think we ought to do with our lives? There are three important elements that allow us to make good decisions. First, we must have an eternal plan with an objective that we are committed to achieve. Second, we need to study and pray on a daily basis about our decisions for feelings of spiritual guidance, courage, and commitment. And third, we need to examine our motives each time we make a decision. We need an eternal plan. Life's plan and the challenge to be successful is demonstrated in an Aesop fable called The Man, the Boy, and the Donkey. The objective of the man and the boy was to journey to the city marketplace and sell the donkey for winter provisions. As they started to town, father rode the donkey. In the first village, the villagers said, What an inconsiderate man riding the donkey and making his son walk. So the father got off the donkey and let his son ride. In the next hamlet, the people whispered, What an inconsiderate boy riding the donkey and making his father walk. In frustration, the father climbed on the donkey and father and son rode the donkey only to have the people in the next town declare how inconsiderate of a man and a boy riding that donkey and overloading their beast of burden, treating him in such an inhumane manner. In compliance with the dissident voices and mocking fingers, the father and son both got off the donkey to relieve the animal's burden, only to have the next people say, Can you imagine a man and a boy being so dumb? as to not even use their beast of burden for what it was created. <laughs> then in anger and total desperation, having tried to please all those who offered advice, the father and son both rode the donkey until it collapsed. <laughs> the donkey had to be carried to the marketplace. The donkey could not be sold. People in the marketplace scoffed, who wants a worthless donkey that can't even walk into the city? The father and boy had failed in their goal of selling the donkey and had no money to buy their winter provisions needed in order to survive. How much different the outcome would have been if father and son had had a plan to follow. Father could have said, I'll ride the donkey a third of the way. Son, you ride the donkey a third of the way, and we'll both walk the last third of the way. The donkey will arrive in the marketplace, fresh and strong, ready to be sold. Then, as they received confusing advice while traveling through each hamlet and village along their way to the city, they could look at each other, give a reassuring wink of the eye, and say, We have a plan. Indeed, you and I do have a plan to guide us in our lives. 
the eternal plan that was given to us in mortality and will bring us back into the presence of our Heavenly Father. During our mortal probation on earth, we will be tested with enticements and opposition in all things. But if we are obedient and faithful to the laws, ordinances, and covenants which we accept with our own free agency, of our own free will and choice, we can attain eternal life. To attain eternal life is why we came to earth. Eternal life is our goal. The definition of eternal life is to be able to live in the presence of our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ with our families for all eternity. Every time we make choices in our lives, we should weigh the ultimate effect our decision will have on the goal of attaining eternal life. And that is why we must study and pray. Having the eternal plan as a goal in our lives, we will make eternal choices. However, we will not make the right eternal choices based solely on our own pure intellectual deduction and factual analysis from our own understanding. Prayer and study must be used together to build knowledge and wisdom. First, we start with intelligence, of which we were endowed when we were born. To our intelligence, we add knowledge as we search for answers, study, and educate ourselves. To our knowledge, we add experience, which should lead us to a level of wisdom. In addition to our wisdom, we seek the Holy Ghost through our prayers of faith, asking for spiritual guidance and strength. Then and only then do we reach what Solomon told us was the understanding in our hearts, which motivates us to do what is right, let the consequence follow. The feelings of an understanding heart give us the sweet spirit of assurance not of knowing but doing what is right. It is not enough just to know. We must do. The understanding in our hearts come from a close interdependence of study and prayer. Behold, ye have not understood. Ye have supposed that I would give it unto you when you took no thought save it was to ask me. But behold, I say unto you, that you must study it out in your mind, that you must ask me if it be right. And if it be right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. Therefore, you shall feel that it is right. Oh, that we might have those feelings. After we've attained knowledge and understanding, it is important to feel that our decision is right. Then when we act, we will do what is right. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understandings in your heart. Last Saturday, I had the experience of visiting Joe and Linda in their house in Boise, Idaho. They gave me permission to share this story with you in the hope that it might help someone who had to make a similar decision in their life. About three to four years ago, Joe was an alcoholic. Linda had left him, taking the children leaving behind a 14-year-old boy who had a testimony. Linda, while she did not drink, was codependent, emotionally behavior of the behavior of an alcoholic husband. She was nearing a nervous breakdown. She had made the decision to save herself and the children from the manipulative behavior of a husband suffering from alcoholism. So she left home 
Joe related to me the depression and despair he felt the night Linda left him. Somewhere in the middle of the night, about two to three in the morning, Joe awoke. He reached out in a prayer to his Heavenly Father and prayed until dawn. It was his Gethsemane. He cried out to the Lord and asked for help with his affliction and expressed love for his caring wife who had confronted him with his abusive behavior. When Joe arose early in the morning light, he made a commitment and decision not to take another drink of alcohol. Joe had lived up to that commitment and has done so for the past four years. His testimony as he talks with others in Alcoholics Anonymous is that God lives and answers prayers. A similar story, but about a little boy named Josh who was having trouble with nightmares that were frightening him. He asked his father if he would kneel down and have prayer with him to ask Heavenly Father to stop the dreams and nightmares. Josh opened his prayer by thanking Heavenly Father for the blessings that were his. He then asked his Heavenly Father to have the nightmares stop, that he might have a confirmation of the feelings during the prayer. He said no more. He waited about a minute, said thank you, and closed the prayer. He had had his confirmation and comfort that his prayers would be answered that he would not have any more nightmares. What an important lesson for a young man to learn. Members of the Council of the Twelve and the First Quorum of Seventy feel a similar experience as Josh and as Joe have had each time a stake president is chosen. What an important lesson to learn about prayer and the feelings of reassurance that come when we ask in faith with nothing wavering, as the Prophet Joseph. Along with study and prayer, we must seek wise counsel. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. When seeking wise counsels, turn to those who have exhibited obedience to the commandments and willingness to follow the promises of the Spirit in their lives. You will know when you have a true friend and counselor, when the advice you are given makes life easier to live the commandments, and when you are not asked to choose between a wayward friend's ways and the Lord's ways. Even though we counsel with others, we must take the responsibility for our actions. Some try to go through life without making their own decisions and blaming others when all does not go as well as expected. As we study our problems out in our minds, patience and pondering should be an important place in our decision-making process. We should reflect on our eternal goals and not make hasty and unwise decisions. President Joseph F. Smith gave these sobering words of advice to leaders and members of the Church to help them with their decision-making. It is a statement I have displayed in my office since becoming presiding bishop. Quote, In leaders, undue impatience and a gloomy mind are almost unpardonable, and it sometimes takes almost as much courage to wait as to act. It is to be hoped, then, that the leaders of God's people and the people themselves will not feel that they must have at once a solution of every question that arises to disturb the even tenor of their ways." End of quote. And lastly, we must examine our motives. A good check and balance in decision-making is to look at our motive for making our decisions. We should ask ourselves, are my motives selfish, or is there charity in the decision I am about to make? Is this decision in keeping with the commandments, both in the spirit and the letter of the law? Is my decision basically right 
honorable, and compatible with the Golden Rule? Have I considered the impact of my decision on others? Let your decisions be done with charities, the scriptures tell us. Beware of fear and greed. Be aware of your true motives. We make poor and irrational decisions if our decision is motivated by greediness, greed for monetary gain, greed that results in the conflict of interest, desire for power and titles and recognition of men. He that is greedy gain for, of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. Likewise, we make poor and irrational decisions if our decision is motivated by fear, fear of man, fear of not being popular, fear of failure, fear of public opinion. As Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. The poet Robert Frost, in the poem The Road Not Taken, gives us a vivid visual image of standing at the crossroads of life, having to make a decision. Two roads diverged in the yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that made all the difference. When we stand at the crossroads of life and make decisions, whether to go to the great and spacious building of the world's ways or the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life, we cannot travel both roads, although sometimes we try. It is difficult to come back, but we can, and our greatest satisfaction will more than likely come from taking the lonelier road, which is less traveled by. May the Lord bless us to make our decisions in life constantly and keep our goal on eternal life, keep it in view, that we may study in prayer each day to know and to understand what is right, but more importantly, to do what is right, that we may have those who stand by us. Thee lift me, and I'll lift thee, and we'll ascend together. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I am impressed to speak out on a problem of deep concern, the worldwide epidemic of drug addiction. As a medical doctor, my study of drugs began early in medical school. Each doctor spends months in specialized courses learning potential benefits and risks of medicinal agents. Proper prescription of drugs is the forte of skilled physicians. Generally, when their advice is carefully followed, results are remarkably successful. In addressing this topic, I specifically exclude such application of modern knowledge by educated professionals. But I raise my voice with others throughout the world who warn against abuse of drugs beyond prescribed limits and the recreational or social use of chemical substances so often begun naively by the ill-informed. From an initial experiment thought to be trivial, a vicious cycle may follow. From trial comes a habit. From habit comes dependence. From dependence comes addiction. Its grasp is so gradual. Enslaving shackles of habit are too small to be sensed until they are too strong to be broken. 
Indeed, drugs are the modern mess of pottage for which souls are sold. No families are free from risk. But the problem is broader than hard drugs. Their use most often begins with cigarette smoking. Tobacco and alcoholic beverages contain addicting drugs. They lead the list in incidence and cost to society. As I speak with governmental and medical leaders of many nations, they voice grave concern over the consumption of alcohol and other substances by their citizens. Though the extent of the challenge is international, data from the United States of America will be cited solely to indicate the monstrous scope of this worldwide problem. Consider the magnitude of tobacco's harm. Cigarette smoking is the most frequent preventable cause of heart disease, artery disease, lung disease, and cancer. In the USA in 1982, 16% of all deaths were attributed to the smoking of tobacco. For the year 1985, the estimated cost of both smoking-related health care and lost productivity amounted to $65 billion. That calculates to an average of $2.17 per pack of cigarettes sold. Social consequences of smoking far exceed the price paid to purchase cigarettes. An insurance company recently reported that one-fifth of all its claims were for afflictions that could have been prevented by simply not smoking. We all bear this financial burden of illness that need not be. Surgeon General Dr. C. Everett Koop and his team of more than 50 scientists recently published a landmark report. For the USA alone, they attributed 320,000 deaths annually to tobacco, 125,000 to alcohol, and lesser mortality from cocaine and other opioids. They declared nicotine to be a powerfully addicting drug in the same sense as are drugs such as heroin and cocaine. Comparable views have been recorded by medical authorities in many other nations. Yet many of our good friends who use tobacco may not believe it to be addicting. Some are reluctant to admit their behavior is substantially controlled by a drug. We understand those feelings. There is mounting concern worldwide over the consumption of alcohol. The U.S. government estimates that 10.6 million adults are alcoholics and that one family in four is troubled by alcohol. It is a factor in nearly half of the nation's murders, suicides, and accidental deaths. Last year, a tragic milestone was reached. More Americans had been killed from alcohol-related motor vehicle deaths than had been killed in all the wars America has ever fought. Drugs such as LSD, marijuana, heroin, and cocaine are also endangering people throughout the earth. The noble attributes of reason, integrity, dignity, which distinguish men and women from all other forms of life, are often first to be attacked by these drugs and alcohol. We reach out in love to family, friends, and neighbors, regardless of nationality or creed, who suffer addiction. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints continues to help relieve this international plague. 
The solution to this problem ultimately is neither governmental nor institutional, nor is it a question of legality. It is a matter of individual choice and commitment. Agency must be understood. The importance of the will in crucial choices must be known. Then steps toward relief can follow. Agency, or the power to choose, was ours as spirit children of our Creator before the world was. It is a gift from God nearly as precious as life itself. Often, however, agency is misunderstood. While we are free to choose, once we have made those choices, we are tied to the consequences of those choices. We are free to take drugs or not. But once we choose to use a habit-forming drug, we are bound to the consequences of that choice. Addiction surrenders later freedom to choose. Through chemical means, one can literally become disconnected from his or her own will. For relief of an ailment, as a doctor of medicine, I might write a prescription. As an ordained apostle, I would invoke the spiritual blessing of eternal perspective. Combined, my spiritual prescription would return the gift of agency to its rightful owner. Each one who resolves to climb that steep road to recovery must gird up for the fight of a lifetime, but a lifetime is a prize well worth the price. This challenge uniquely involves the will, and the will can prevail. Healing doesn't come after the first dose of any medicine, so the prescription must be followed firmly, bearing in mind that it often takes as long to recover as it did to become ill. But if made consistently and persistently, correct choices can cure. My spiritual prescription includes six choices, which I shall list alphabetically, A through F, and then comment about each. Choose to be alive. Choose to believe. Choose to change. Choose to be different. Choose to exercise. Choose to be free. One. Choose to be alive. Seek beloved family, friends, and physicians. Plead for their help. Your precious life is at stake. Cheer up your heart and remember that you are free to act for yourself, to choose the way of everlasting death or the way of eternal life. The choice for life brings an outlook of optimism. It breathes hope. It rekindles self-esteem regarding one's body as a timeless trust, and it awakens a personal commitment to see that ye take care of these sacred things, that ye look to God and live. 2. Choose to believe. Believe in God. Accept yourself as His child created in His image. He loves you and wants you to be happy. He wants you to grow through life's choices and become more like Him. He pleads that you will reconcile yourself to the will of God and not to the will of the flesh. Reconciliation requires faith, repentance, and baptism. Be born of God, changed from your carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness. Renew covenants made at baptism by worthily partaking of the sacrament regularly that thou mayest more fully keep thyself unspotted from the world. Then be meek and lowly in heart. 
withstand every temptation of the devil with faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Choose to believe in and be blessed by your Creator. Three, choose to change. How long will you suffer yourself to be led by foolish and blind guides? Yea, how long will ye choose darkness rather than light? Choose to change today. The spirit and the body are the soul of man. Both spirit and body have appetites. One of life's great challenges is, is to develop dominance of spiritual appetites over those physical. Your willpower becomes strong when joined with the will of the Lord. Addiction to any substance enslaves not only the physical body but the spirit as well. Therefore, repentance is best achieved while one still has a body to help attain spiritual supremacy. This life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. This life is the day for man to perform their labors. Do not procrastinate the day of your repentance. If we do not improve our time while in this life, then cometh a night of darkness wherein there can be no labor performed. That same spirit which doth possess your bodies at the time ye go out of this life will have power to possess your body in that eternal world. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life eternal. That blessing will come with those with the will to change. 4. Choose to be different. Distinguish yourself from worldly crowds. Defenders do not resemble offenders. Among them are clever merchandisers who plot to link beer with sports, tobacco with charm, and drugs with fun. Scripture warns of those who so deceive. Thus saith the Lord unto you, in consequence of evils and designs which do and will exist in the hearts of conspiring men in the last days, I have warned you and forewarned you by giving unto you this word of wisdom by revelation. His word of wisdom includes sound nutritional guidance and simple instructions. We are not to drink alcoholic beverages. We are not to use tobacco. We are not to drink tea or coffee. And in this same spirit, we are not to use addicting drugs. So to modern Israel, God has given modern counsel similar to ancient commandments recorded in the Old Testament. It is not for kings to drink wine nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him and makest him drunken. Certainly, medical research validates physical benefits of obedience to the word of wisdom. The evidence is so great that many will be taught the right things for only half of the right reasons. With that limited understanding, could they then try a smoke, a drink, or a drug, rationalizing that just one won't hurt? Could the prospect of only future physical rewards even be bait? or foolish dares of defiance now? Or to phrase these questions another way, 
How many would be determined to obey the will of the Lord even if physical benefits were not assured? When God asked Abraham to offer Isaac in sacrifice, did they first seek scientific confirmation that their choice to obey was medically advisable? The word of wisdom is a spiritual law. To the obedient he proclaimed, I, the Lord, give unto them a promise that the destroying angel shall pass by them as the children of Israel and not slay them. At the first Passover, the destroying angel did pass over houses that were marked with blood on the doorpost. In our day, the faithful keep the word of wisdom. It is one of our signs unto God that we are His covenant people. Choose to be different. You'll be blessed both physically and spiritually. 5. Choose to exercise. Exercising the body and the spirit will aid in the climb toward recovery. Appropriate physical activity helps to combat depression, which so often accompanies addiction. But spiritual exercise is even more crucial. This battle will be more easily won with fervent prayer. If we truly counsel with the Lord in all our doings, He will direct us for good. Strength comes from uplifting music, good books, and feasting from the scriptures. Since the Book of Mormon was to come forth when there shall be great pollutions upon the face of the earth, study of that book in particular will fortify us. President Benson has issued that challenge. Exercise the body and the spirit and choose to exercise faith in God. 6. Choose to be free. Break bands of iniquity. Leave behind an iron yoke, handcuffs, and chains, and shackles, and fetters of hell. Choose to be free from feigned friends who first flatter, yet later despise. Drug abuse may have started with them, but you pay the price. Remember, my brethren and sisters, that whosoever perisheth, perisheth unto himself, and whosoever doeth iniquity, doeth it unto himself. For behold, ye are free, ye are permitted to act for yourselves. For behold, God hath given unto you a knowledge, and he hath made you free. The Lord has revealed his sacred standard to guide people in a troubled world. You and I were born free to follow his divine guidance. We may choose for ourselves. Those choices may bring addiction or freedom. For freedom and joy, choose to be faithful in Christ. He will lift you up. May the hope of His glory and of eternal life rest in your mind forever. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My beloved brethren and sisters, I rejoice to be with you in another glorious General Conference of the Church. I am always thrilled to be with you. I am always filled with anxiety as I approach these conferences. 
But I humbly pray that the Holy Spirit will be with us in rich abundance as we listen to the inspired counsel and messages of the Lord. This has been a landmark year in the history of the church in the use of the keystone of our religion, the Book of Mormon. This sacred volume of scripture has brought more souls to Christ both within and without the church than ever before. There are so many who could be commended for this progress, but time will permit mention of only a few. We commend all those who had a part in the producing and distributing of church video on the Book of Mormon entitled, How Rare a Possession. That video has had a powerful impact in the lives of its viewers, and tens of thousands of copies were distributed in the first weeks after its initial showing. We commend you leaders and teachers all various church organizations for your inspired use of the Book of Mormon in helping to rear a generation that can redeem Zion. In many cases, a little child has led a parent of the Lord through the Book of Mormon reading program in the primary. We commend the members of the church who have participated in the Family to Family Book of Mormon program placing the pictures and testimonies inside copies of the Book of Mormon. These testimonies have been translated into many languages, and the books 
have been given away by our missionaries throughout the world. This is helping to bring in tens of thousands of converts each year. We commend those responsible for the excellent articles on the Book of Mormon, which have appeared in our church publications. We commend the personnel of radio stations who broadcast excerpts from the Book of Mormon. We commend those who have sponsored and supported faith-building Book of Mormon lectures and composiums. We commend many of you who in the edifying manner have taught classes, given talks, authored articles, and written books on the Book of Mormon. And finally, and most important, we commend that vast number of faithful saints who individually and as families are changing their lives, cleansing the inner vessel through daily reading of the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is the instrument that God designed to sweep the earth as with a flood to gather out the elect. This sacred volume of scripture needs to become more central in our preaching, our teaching, and our missionary work. Presently, the Book of Mormon is studied in our Sunday school and uh, seminary classes every fourth year. This four-year pattern, however, must not be followed by the church. Members in their personal family study, we need to read daily from the pages of a book that will get near to God by its precepts than any other book. And when we are called upon to study or teach other scriptures, we strengthen that undertaking by frequent reference to the additional insights 
which the Book of Mormon may provide on the subject. The recent well-done video on the Book of Mormon entitled How Rare a Possession carried many messages. First was the power of the Book of Mormon to convert men to, uh, to Christ and hence Another message was that a man could study and preach the contents of the Book of Mormon uh, for so many years without either his or his associates knowing the name of the book and the church which published it. In time, the time is long overdue for a massive flooding of the earth with the Book of Mormon for many reasons which the Lord has given. In this age of electric media and mass distribution of the printed word, God will hold us accountable if we do not now move the Book of Mormon in a monumental way. We have the Book of Mormon. We have the members. We have the missionaries. We have the resources, and the world has the need. The time is now. My beloved brothers and sisters, we hardly fathom the power of the Book of Mormon, nor the divine role it must play, nor the extent to which it must be moved. Few men on the earth, said Elder Bruce R. McConkie, either in or out of the church, have caught the vision of what the Book of Mormon is all about. Few are they who know the part it has played and will play in preparing the way for the coming of him of whom it is a witness. The Book of Mormon shall so affect men that whole earth, the whole earth and all its peoples will have 
been influenced and governed by it. There is no great, greater issue ever to come to confront mankind in modern times than this. Is the Book of Mormon the mind and will of God? We testify that it is. Now, my good saints, we have a great work to perform in, very, in a very short time. We must flood the earth with the Book of Mormon and get out from under God's condemnation for having treated it lightly. I challenge the members of the Church to participate in the family-to-family Book of Mormon program to send copies of the Book of Mormon on the mission for you. Sister Benson and I have been doing this for some time, and we intend to do more. We should be sending out millions of copies of the Book of Mormon to the missionaries every month. I challenge our mission leaders to show their missionaries how to challenge their contacts to read the Book of Mormon and pray about it. Missionaries need to know how to use the Book of Mormon to arouse mankind's interest in it. They need to show how it answers the great questions of the soul. Missionaries need to read with those they teach various gospel From the book, I challenge our church leaders, church writers, teachers, and leaders to tell us more Book of Mormon conversion stories that will strengthen our faith and prepare great missionaries show us how to effectively use it as a missionary tool to uh, know how it leads to Christ and answers our personal problems and those of the world. I challenge those who are in business and other professions to see that there are copies 
of the Book of Mormon in the reception rooms. I challenge owners of cassettes players to play Book of Mormon cassettes from time to time and to listen to them at home and while jogging, walking, jogging, or driving. I challenge the homes of Israel to display on their walls great quotations and scenes from the Book of Mormon. I challenge all of us to prayerfully consider steps that we can personally take to bring this new witness for Christ more fully into our lives and into the world that so desperately needs it. I have a vision of homes alerted, of classes alive, and of pulpits aflame with the spirit of the Book of Mormon messages. I have a vision of the home teachers and visiting teachers, ward and branch officers, and stake mission leaders counseling our people out of the most correct of any book on earth, the Book of Mormon. I have a vision of artists putting into film literature, music, and paintings, the great themes and character characters from the Book of Mormon. I have a vision of thousands of missionaries going into the mission field with hundreds of passages memorized from the Book of Mormon so that they might feed the feed feed the need of a spiritually famished world. I have a vision of whole, whole church getting near to God by abiding by the precepts of the Book of Mormon. I indeed, indeed I have a vision of flooding the earth with the Book of Mormon. My beloved saints, I am now entering my 90th year. I am getting older and less vigorous, and I am so grateful 
for your prayers and the support of my younger brethren. I thank the Lord for renewing my body from time to time so that I can still help build this kingdom. I do not know how fully and why God has preserved my life to this age. But I do know this, that for the present hour, he has revealed to me the absolute need for us to move the Book of Mormon forward now and in a marvelous manner. You must help with this burden and with this blessing which he has placed on the whole church, even all of the stakes of Zion. Moses never entered the promised land. Joseph Smith never saw Zion redeemed. Some of us may not live long enough to see the day, the day when the Book of Mormon floods the earth and when the Lord lifts his condemnation. But God willing, I intend to spend my all my remaining days in that glorious effort. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.